0: Hi there and welcome to Bonus Episodes of Typical Books! These are excerpts from the Typical Books Monthly Horror Magazine, a subscription podcast that offers interviews with authors and artists and essays about horror fiction uncut. You can find that on Patreon slash Typical Books and Apple Podcasts by searching Typical Books. These episodes may be offered in parts, so take a look at the title. It will indicate how many parts there are to this episode and as ever enjoy as we talk to writers about writing. So on with the show. Celso Hurtado was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. He has been a punk guitarist, worked in the political arena, and has played entirely too many hours of The Legend of Zelda. In his writing he strives to surprise his readers and make them think twice before investigating that creek in the hallway. The Ghost Tracks is his first novel, a young adult paranormal thriller out now from Inkshares. Welcome to the show, Celso.
1: Thank you for having me, Lydia. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I was very excited to get to talk to you because I love talking to debut authors and your book really spoke to me. Uh, We were talking before recording and just the description of the book had drawn me in and it seems to have drawn in a lot of other people. Now, before I go on with my first question about the writing cycle, <laughs> you recently had a book signing and were on television. Just uh, how did that go? Uh,
1: it went great. I, I have to tell you, um, you know, I'm an introvert by nature. So it was terrifying, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, especially the live TV shot. Um, when they told me it was gonna be live, I did pause for a minute, but um, It ended up well, it definitely wasn't something I was used to, but it's something I'll definitely never forget. Same thing with the book signing. It was really gratifying to see so many friends, family, and really new people come out who, like you said, had heard about the book. They were curious about it. Um, I'd mentioned to you that the ghost tracks is San Antonio's most famous urban legend. Every Halloween people go down there to try it for those not familiar. Uh, the urban legend goes, uh, on some railroad tracks on the south side of town. Back in the 1950s, a bus full of kids got killed on the tracks. When the bus stalled and the train hit them, and if you go now and park there, the ghosts of these children will push your car over the tracks to safety. For generations, San Antonians have believed in this and have gone and done it. Um, The reception has been great, so the book signing was wonderful. So with was the live TV shot. And I was fortunate enough also, uh, the local reporter reached out to me to do a, a story in the paper. So that was also really, really great. It's been uh, it's well-received
0: so far. That's fantastic. And I think that that's sort of a debut novel dream come true. I mean, I couldn't have written it any better myself as far as what someone would want the reception of a book to be like. And I think you really struck a chord um, with writing about a local urban legend. We have one similar here in Ontario. It isn't railroad tracks, but it is a ghost light down a road of someone who had been killed on a motorcycle. And apparently you will see the motorcycle light coming up behind you on certain nights and you'll pull over a little bit because they look like they're gonna pass you and you're trying to be friendly and you just pull to the right a little and nothing goes past you. And it's quite eerie. So I can't imagine you have an added level of eeriness and compassion with these ghost children.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. I think what always sells it, uh, especially to outer counters, is after you go past the railroad tracks and you uh, sprinkle baby powder in the back of your car, you see handprints. And people always love
0: that. I can barely imagine. And that lends a whole other level. And I love how you've captured it in your book. Now, the ghost tracks came out just at the very beginning of November. So it's fresh, very fresh. About how long did it take as in terms of writing and publishing, was it a very quick endeavor? Did this idea come to you fully formed or has this been a years long process?
1: Well, Lydia, uh, it has been years um, because the ghost tracks also doubled as me learning how to write. Because when I first started this, All I knew was I wanted to write. I had no concept of how to do it. So I started, I realized right away, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I read a ton of books, read a ton of interviews and went back at it. And um, it was originally a completely different story um, where the paranormal investigator was a side character. And I said, hey, this person sounds a little more interesting. So um, there were a lot of stops and starts and other drafts, other versions of it. This specific draft, as you read it, I probably started this draft about five years ago. Then I got it the way I wanted it. And then about two and a half years ago is when InkShares had a a horror contest. And because that's how Inkshares are kind of a hybrid publisher, and so if you attract enough interest and enough people order your book, they'll look at publishing it, which is what happened. There was a lot of interest in the Ghost Tracks, so um, the CEO Adam Gomelin um, chose it, and we were going to publish it maybe about right before COVID came out, and then that put a wrinkle in everything. So then we, uh, Inkshare decided to pull all of their books and wait until things were better, and then for me around the Halloweenish time, seemed like a good time to release it. So that's how it all happened. But a lot, a lot of that was me learning how to write. I didn't know how to do lots of things. Um, and uh, I walked away from it multiple times because I would write myself into corners and not know how to get out of them. Um, but eventually I got it to where I wanted it and I'm happy with how it turned out.
0: Over those last five years of polishing this particular draft, did you do all of that yourself, like aside from uh maybe taking workshops but reading books like you said and listening to interviews with authors and learning the craft as best you can that way were there any like live mentors or other authors that you networked with live and in real meat space so
1: no i didn't have anything like that um during the process with with there was a an author i met patrick delaney Uh, who's written some books, so The House That Fell from the Sky, one of them, and we became great friends. Um, He read the ghost tracks and uh, provided some some really valuable feedback. So uh, anyone listening, I encourage y'all to read his book. She's a great writer. Other than that though, it was mainly just me. Uh, It was mainly just me. Uh, Adam from InkShares had some input in the final product. Uh, He definitely had some great suggestions um, that I took to heart. Um, but uh, other than that, it was, it was mainly me trying to muddle my way through as best I as best I could.
0: It seems to be a little darker of a story than I had anticipated. But then I also seem to say that about young adult novels that I read because I don't read a lot of them. It's either that those that catch my eye are darker, or YA is a lot darker than I'd have ever imagined. It was this 100% always destined to be this young adult dark horror paranormal thriller story like a dark urban thriller at that or was it uh, destined to be an adult story that has found its way through the character himself erasmo is not an, an adult himself 100 percent. so is how is that genesis was it always meant to be ya eh?
1: that's such a good question so you hit the nail on the head in that second version it started off as a little more adult He was around 23, 24 in the original draft. But as I began writing it and along with some feedback from Adam, it it started to feel more of a coming of age kind of story where he has to learn some truths about himself. And that seemed to lend itself to a younger character. So as you said, in subsequent drafts, it started to get a little younger and a little younger and until it made more sense. Habit the way it ended out, so it didn't start off that way. I mean, it definitely wasn't a 35 year old or anything like that. Um, but it was early 20s, and you know, moving it back three, four years just seemed to make a little more sense. As far as the darkness, I think that's just where my sensibilities lie in general. I know the description sounds a little bit you know, could be taken the wrong way, like you know, Encyclopedia Brown paranormal kind of thing um and I did I I do worry about that a little bit I I worry that people aren't going are not going to give it a chance because it sounds a little younger than it really is there are some dark things like you said in this book and I didn't want to shy away from that you know I think a lot of I mentioned in the tv interview that you know there are a lot of folks out there who have gone through the things that this character has in their families and I wanted these folks out there to know that there's books about them too and there are some dark subject matters, but that is what people deal with. That is what kids and teenagers deal with. And I didn't want to shy away from that. You know, I think I think it's resonated with people. I've been hearing back that it uh, moved them in a way that they've experienced similar things.
0: What uh, caught my eye, aside from my huge love of paranormal investigation and believing firmly in ghosts forever, amen. But uh, it was the mention of addiction and overdosing that had caught my eye so much since it's in the summary i knew it would be it would come into bigger play and i really like that it's not completely 100 percent overshadowing or, or oppressing your main character entirely but it's there and it comes to a crescendo where that is a very key not only plot point but it's like part of his character and interwoven into the fabric of him even more so than the paranormal angle or his grandmother's life the things that he deals with day to day it's these things in his past that he'll never really let go. I loved it. And it, it struck a very good balance, I think. Uh, I'd love to hear the take of somebody who is his age reading this. I wish I were so much younger so I could experience it. I think that it's one of those books that can speak to nearly any age range. So you've really, really done well that way.
1: Oh, I, pre- I appreciate that. That that was the goal. You know, I I really wanted adults to respond to it in maybe just they would a regular adult horror book I I feel like there are some scary parts in the book and you know there's there's a lot of mystery in the book too I feel like you know when I was writing it I almost felt like I was writing more like a like a mystery you know he's presented with these three cases and the whole question is are these people just whack jobs or is there something really there that is going on paranormal wise and like you said hopefully younger folks can take away something from it as well in terms of someone that age grappling with, you know, their identity and what came before them years ago that they had nothing to do with, that affected how their lives unfolded. I think everyone can can relate to that to some degree.
0: It's always particularly heartbreaking to me when someone who's young, especially anyone younger than Erasmo would be, uh, that have to worry about things like uh, bills and food and rent and stuff like that. And I think just that in its simplicity is uh, what really draws one to this character and makes you feel for them immediately let alone his weird uh, love of drinking milk he drinks a lot of milk if you don't mind my saying (laughs) and then he has these very visceral reactions to his tension and is that something that you yourself have experienced or was it something within his character entirely that came about as he grew in your mind and on the paper.
1: So it was a combination of things. Um, You know, I wanted to show that he was naive and not well-versed in the ways of the world, you know, and sensitive, um, which which he very much is partly because of the way he grew up. So like you said, having those reactions would just be part of it. Part of it is also a like help with the plot in some way so there is a scene where he vomits early on after he sees something that the reader doesn't know what it is so i wanted that to kind of draw the reader and like what did he see maybe we'll find out later on but of course he'd have to have a visceral reaction in order for that to work you know just a side note is kind of part of the writing process i am very very much try to surprise the readers and have mysteries in there but that Part of the reason it took me so long to go back to one of your original questions was when I'm writing a scene, often I'll think, what's the most surprising thing that could happen here? And I'll come up with something, but I don't know why that surprising thing happened. And I end up for two months staring at the wall, trying to figure it out. So in that scene where he sees that thing and vomits, I enjoyed that. I liked knowing that that might make people wonder what he saw but I could never figure out what he saw. So that took me like two months to figure out something that I was comfortable doing. Um, so that that's part of the reason I write slow. I try I do stuff like that quite a bit, um, but I did kind of enjoy that about his character. He's savvy in other ways, I feel. For example, when these three cases come to him, he doesn't immediately just agree that they're paranormal in nature. Um, you know, he has his questions um, about, eh, you know, he knows enough to know that there may be more there than than what they're saying.
0: He has a guiding light in the diary or grimoire that he has that was uh, within his father's belongings, wasn't it?
1: That's correct. So one of the questions I had early on was, why is he obsessed with the paranormal? You know, what about it? And the answer is kind of what you said. He was so desperate to hold on to the slightest thing that he knows about his father, he knows like two or three things and having the book was one of these. And by its nature, this draws attention to him that his father read this book. And it's part of the reason he's even obsessed with the paranormal in the first place.
0: And it could be one of the nicest things about his father that he knows, because a lot of what he knows about his father isn't too nice, really. Absolutely. Now, I love the cover of this. And it speaks to that almost, I hesitate to say like The Exorcist, just because that is like the thing with crosses that deals with the occult that everyone knows. But it it reminded me of it to a certain extent, but I love that layout. Did you have some input in that or is that 100% ink shares?
1: So that idea of having the crosses form railroad tracks was 100% Adam, Adam Gomelin, And he sent it over to um, Tim Barber at Dissect Designs who actually, went with the idea and um, made it happen. So it was a combination of Adam and Tim. You know, it's so funny when Adam was telling me, this is terrible for a writer, but I'm not that visual a person. So when Adam was telling me, he goes, yeah, it's crosses and they form railroad tracks. It was hard for me to envision it. And then when I saw what Tim did with it, I was blown away. I was so happy with it. I mean, I honestly think that some of the books that have sold so far have been because of that cover. It's so eye-catching. Um, so I cannot claim any credit for this. It was uh, it was Adam and Tim.
0: They did a really really fantastic job and really capture every essence of the story. And I think that it even is more helpful to San Antonians because I didn't know it was a true story. I'm going to have to look it up. Like that's what I'm doing tonight after we talk is checking out <laughs> the real ish story as real as it is, the real as real as it as it can be. As it as it can be, yeah. It's people's experiences that I'm. Interested in, right? Like, how many people have had this? If it's a landmark thing that San Antonians do, uh, I'm very excited to read more about it. But I'm sure that that just says, yes, this is a perfect cover for this book to local readers, let alone someone like me who had no idea it was really real. Yeah. You know, something that Adam
1: had picked up on too is, you know, San Antonio is a very Catholic city. Um, There's actually, I think, in the book, two separate visits to churches in the book. So it really just fit well with the whole thematic elements of the book. I just, I was just over the moon when I saw it. I'm so happy with it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And I've never visited San Antonio at all or Texas, let alone most of the U.S., but it seemed to fit for me as well, just knowing any history of the area. San Antonio, in this is as much of a character as well. Do all of these places exist? Like you've said, the ghost tracks exist, which is very exciting to me. But (laughs) if you follow his motions and the places that he mentions and even the alleys he ends up going down, uh, are these all mapped out in your mind as real places in San Antonio?
1: All of them are 100% true, except for some fudging I did in the scene so there is a little bit of a fight in one of the scenes, and it's kind of a secluded street. So all of that does exist. And when he's driving there, all those streets exist, that part of town exists. There isn't a street that's secluded in that area, but I needed it to be kind of secluded. So that's the only thing I fudged a bit. Everything else is 100%, even down to the gas station that he visits uh, or the, the, the market that he visits, it's all 100% um,
0: accurate. Oh, that's wonderful. It's cool in a way, not only for local people, but if I were ever in San Antonio, I'd probably like be popping open the book thinking like, where can (laughs) I find any of these places? Just cause, you know, I think it's fantastic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've, uh, the feedback I've gotten from, from the local folks, they are so excited to read a book set in town. And I, you know, I didn't realize that it would go over as well as it would in that regard, because I've had friends, coworkers, whoever, coming by saying, oh, I read that thing about Bandera. I lived down the street from there. That's so cool to read a book where, you know, I'm so familiar with it. Of, of course, I'm going to say this because I'm from here, but I really feel like San Antonio is not represented enough in books and movies and TV shows. So, you know, this was my, my small effort to kind of help that a bit.
0: It's very true. I, I can agree with that. I'm not because I'm so well read or anything, but there are specific American cities that get a lot of attention because they're either easy to write, if people haven't lived there, they've visited there, we've seen them in movies and that's helpful. I think at this rate I could probably write a book based in New York or LA because I've seen so much of it and it's so readily available online so you could fudge it and it would appear that I had visited there, I could do a probably pretty good job. but san antonio not so much it's like you either have to have toured or make it a point to visit historical cities within u.s or live there you know live in texas at least we get the same sort of problem here in canada there's not as much representation of canadian cities and if there is at all it's toronto or vancouver Mm -hmm. sometimes montreal but yeah very rarely so when people write about the locality. I can completely understand the the buzz and the joy that you've spread. And I saw some photos from your signing. It looked to be quite busy. Uh, was it 100% just random people that you'd never met, or was there a good turnout of friends and family?
1: Yeah, it was a pretty good combination. Um, you know, right when I got there, I I saw the line and I was like, wow, those are not my cousins. Those are strangers. So this is great. And as the line grew and grew, I was looking and I'm like, wow, these are people I've never met before. And to your point, you know, um, one of the first folks in line, he was so excited. He said, I love historical San Antonio stuff. I'm a collector of all things San Antonio. When I saw that this was the book, I was so excited. Like you said, it really speaks to local people, whatever it may be. And so the turnout was really great. And it was a lot of people that I did not know and that were excited to come out. And it was, it was great to see. I mean, I didn't do it purposefully. I actually, you know, in terms of a, of a marketing thing, although it really turned out great, I have to say, but I wanted to write about the ghost tracks for multiple reasons. Uh, one of them being, because I, I did have an ex- strange experience down there, but I, I'm so glad that it's so recognizable to the locals. And that has really, really helped, I think, fuel the success of the book uh, so far.
0: Was it a recent experience uh, of your own at the ghost tracks or was it uh, when you were younger?
1: So it was when I was younger and I had mentioned this on, um, on the news station, but when I was younger, we went down and there was a pretty bad wreck there. And that wreck really stayed with me. It was really frightening at the time. It was bad. I mean, we think that guy was hurt pretty bad as far as I remember, but it stayed with me. I said, yeah, I know I can use that one day. I know I can use that. And I... And I did as best I could, right, using the ghost tracks. Um, and so that's part of the reason. The other thing is the ghost track just seems so fertile and no one had used it yet. I'm like, wow, no <laughs> one has used this. I feel like someone's going to come along and use this. It may as well be me. That's why, that's part of the reason I wanted to, to write about it.
0: There's um, uh, a couple of writers I've seen comment lately speaking to things that have been used, haven't been used and are very fertile as far as imagination, let alone storytelling is like superior. Apparently, it's so deep and so cold, if someone goes missing in it, their body's never recovered because it doesn't float. It will sink, guaranteed, apparently. And so many writers, every so often I hear people talk about it, but lately, there have been a lot of writers being like, why has no one ever written about Lake Superior and that it doesn't give up its dead? And yeah, hopefully somebody does. But I'm glad that you've been the first to cover the ghost tracks in this particular way, especially to bring it to horror and it not be just uh you know typical literary fiction is there any plans to carry on this particular track no pun intended
1: (laughs) so um you know originally when i originally had the idea it was not conceived as a series and when i got with ink shares they were very interested in keeping the option alive for it to be a series so i did tweak the story a bit to leave that option available to us so you know kind of depends it depends on if the book has continued success and uh you know since i didn't really have it in mind if i if there's an idea that i am happy with about I, that i feel comfortable with i kind of threw everything in the kitchen sink at this story there are, you know three completely different paranormal stories including erasmo's own kind of history that he has to grapple with so i kind of threw everything out there I've been kicking around ideas for another Ghost Tracks book. Um, So depending on how things go. uh...
0: And thus ends the bonus episode for today. And I'll thank you very much for listening. Of course, check back soon for more bonus episodes. These aren't found on the YouTube show. So as a special thank you. To listeners of the podcast here we are you can find the essays at typicalbooks.com and if you're interested in the full-length episodes check out the patreon or apple podcasts if there's anything that you think that i ought to be talking about on typical books let me know and make sure you have an ooky spooky day